Welcome to the Evolving Accountant Podcast. We all know that some accountants can be boring, but definitely not this one. Why talk trial balances and P&L when we can get ripped jeans into the boardroom and hear business insights from people who have really walked the talk? Get ready. Here comes an all-new episode with your host, Darren Wingfield. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Evolving Accountant Podcast, powered by Harlands. I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Jeff and Amy, both co-founders of Hunter and Gatherer. Welcome to the show this morning, guys. And first of all, we're doing a bit of a dual act today. So I'm going to start with yourself, Jeff. For our listeners out there, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and more importantly, what your drive is to get out of bed in the morning? Jeez, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm co-founder at Hunt and Gather. Um, the business has been going out for about five years. I'm an absolute nut with health and wellness activities. Uh, so what gets me out of bed in the morning, apart from our dog, who is nearly two years of age, it's the opportunity, hope and abundance that a day has ahead. That sounds super cliche, but yeah, it really, it really is what gets me out of bed. I love a good sunrise. I love grounding, taking my shoes off and being on the grass. So that's kind of what gets me out of bed in the morning. I'm a real morning person, as Amy will likely confirm. <laughs> Same question for you, Amy. Other than Jeff being that a morning, morning annoying person, what's your drive to get up to make the best of each day? Yeah, I'm definitely more of the night owl rather than the morning lark. So um, I do get a little bit of starfishing in the bed once Jeff has got up early. But for me, I'm a real um, project manager type personality. So I love having a to-do list. I love doing projects. I love seeing projects to the finish. So if I've got a project that I'm working on, I love getting up, writing my daily to-do list and just cracking through it. There's nothing more like that I love than ticking off a task. It sounds pretty boring, but um, it definitely drives things forwards. And I think when you really peel back all the layers through both Jeff and I, it's the passion of running something, like running a business for a greater good. Creating. And yeah, and we've created something out of nothing and it is really changing people's lives. And that really is the, the main driver. Before we move on, I'm going to ask, are you one of them people that writes things on your to-do list that you've already done just so you can cross them off? Might have. Okay, that's a yes. (laughs) So, Amy, just continuing with yourself, can you talk a little about what your career, your journey has been like to date before obviously starting the exciting journey? Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people see your chapter 21, as we call it, and don't see all of the pages that come before. Like you don't just start, well, not many people just start a business without having pre-learnings or experience. So um, for me, it was actually in the corporate world. So I have a background in animal related studies, actually, and ended up in the pet food industry in the UK, worked for a big corporate and then moved to a startup that was revolutionizing the pet food industry with grain free, organic, healthier pet food, um, which was changing the lives of pets and I just saw from that journey how big an impact brands have on what is available in our supermarkets and the foods that we choose to eat as a nation 
So that was kind of my career side. I was working in sales mainly. So understanding how to sell products, how to launch products and got involved across the business in new product development, understanding finance, P&Ls and and how that impacted decisions you made. So I had a really great kind of background and it was when we move on to understanding more about Jeff's journey and um, my personal goals of I'm a lifelong celiac. So I had my own health and nutrition requirements personally, kind of combining my skills of work and personal is what then helped with the launch of Hunter and Gather. But that's only one half of that story. And it took a lifetime, kind of early lifetime to, to get to that point. Yeah, my, my um is a very common, well-trodden path from being a quantity surveyor to running a food and supplements business. That's sarcasm. <laughs> it was when I was at university, actually studying a building surveying degree. I met a Team GB physio who introduced me to the concepts of kind of a lower carbohydrate, lower sugar, lower grain diet for optimal performance and health um, and kind of opened my eyes to the world of what we're currently feeding the population and athletes and performers is inadequate essentially and suboptimal. Um, and that was back in 2012. And since then I became obsessed by it, started my career as a quantity surveyor, went and worked to a huge corporate and clients were like blue chip clients, such as Google, Amazon, and, and high flying law firms in, in London. And we were kind of fitting out their offices on multi-million pound projects. So I kind of got exposed to big numbers and managing kind of contract accounts and, and just seeing how like P&Ls and cash flows and billings and turnover works, et cetera. All at the same time of being obsessed by, you know, feeling better year by year and kind of wanting to work in that space and give back as much as possible. So much so that I started to explore graduate entry medicine, nutritional therapy, physiotherapy, thinking how can I work within a space where I can apply these principles that I've learned and I've developed in my own life to enable myself to be the best version of myself and and essentially, yeah, it was witnessing Amy's kind of her evolving through her career, Mars and Lily's Kitchen, et cetera, and seeing the real lack of options and products available on shelf and seeing how those products really gear what is available to society and how big food kind of really influences that, that kind of led us to being optimistic and a little bit naive and saying, hey, like, why don't we start a food business? We can create some awesome products here. First and foremost, we're our own customer these aren't readily available to us, what can we do? Um, and it kind of evolved from there from, yeah, a real kind of sense of wonderment through to now five years later being a multi-million pound business and impacting thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Yeah, I thought I could help Jeff from more of a potentially consulting side of things of supporting his his journey. And yeah, it, it, very quickly, we realized that it wasn't just us that needed the products. There was a whole nation here that needed the the guidance, the products and, and support. So but just to add in, this is my second business. Um, I actually stepped to work at the age of 24 from my, um, gr- my, my, my career that I'd been in for three years, which is a short amount of time, typical millennial. But I actually created a contracting business and we secured contracts with Metropolitan Police and the University of Greenwich to fit out some of their facilities. And yeah, they were kind of six figure contracts that I got exposed at the age of 24 and leading that business with kind of six guys working for us. So that really gave me a good grounding in like, yeah, managing cash flow and PL and the real kind of essence of what business is, which has, I guess, formed how we've actually created this business and built this business from day one, not relying on huge amounts of investment to date, et cetera. Cool. So we've sort of touched on what your current brand does and some of the products and the, the reasons behind it. 
can one of you just go into a bit more of information of what it is? Yeah, for sure. So Hunter and Gavar is a real food and supplements brand that's got a mission to provide the tools that our tribe need to thrive. And what that means is it's it's products, it's recipes, it's knowledge all around an ancestry inspired lifestyle. So what that means is it's eating how our ancestors would have, it's learning from that time, but for the modern world. So all of our products are free from refined sugars, grains and inflammatory fats like seed oils or vegetable oils. And we also don't use any artificial preservatives and we use ingredients that you can pronounce, you can understand. And what that helps with is we have a real issue in the UK and all Western societies of modern chronic disease. So type 2 diabetes is on the rise, obesity, things like Alzheimer's. And for example, with type 2 diabetes, in most cases, it can be put into remission through diet and lifestyle alone. And we're talking millions of people at risk of of type 2 diabetes, over 13 million in the UK. So there's this big need for a change in the way that we're living um, and what we're eating. And it's our role at Hunter and Gather and our mission to educate and then provide easy swaps so that we can make it easy for families, easy for individuals to choose healthier options. So we span across uh, kitchen staples, so your everyday cooking items, condiments, sauces, dressings, into supplements so that you can thrive every day. So cross-category brand, we work online. um, So we sell online and in stores as well. So a real omni-channel approach. Awesome. So what's your favourite product? So this is a really hard one because it's like choosing between your kids. (laughs) But um, the product that I use every day is our MCT coconut oil. It's an oil that you add to coffee or drizzle on salads and things like that. And it really supports brain health, keeping your blood sugars regulated. And I just feel like my brain is is, is alive and gives me energy when I have that. Flavor-wise, it would be our avocado mayo. I do love that as well. Yeah, I mean, our classic avocado oil mayonnaise is the OG product that's when we launched with, so that's always got a place in the heart. But mine, mine flip-flops between different ones, but I think for me it's our liver and heart capsules, um, which kind of encapsulates the philosophy of eating nose to tell. Um, and, a, and enables people to have access to, you know, n- nature's original superfood, which is liver, and enables people to take that in a convenient format. So yeah, we're, I'm super passionate about people consuming an animal-based diet that is nutrient dense, has bioavailable nutrients and, and vitamins and minerals. So yeah, super passionate about that particular product range. Perfect. Thanks for that intro. So we've done a few podcasts quite recently with food and drink brands. Everyone, the feedback from all of them is sort of the food and drink brand is the brand and industry is the industry on steroids. It's the one that moves quick. It's the one that something's always happening. One day you're doing one thing, then all of a sudden you're in HR, the next thing you're in sales, then you'd look and talk about marketing, et cetera, et cetera. It's led me to do a new question that I like to ask all the food and drink brands. And going down that route, it's in your opinion, because once again, Everyone has come up with a different one. What is the most important personality trait or strength someone would need to have to work in 
your industry or be successful in your job? For me, it's resilience and an abundance mindset. Um, that's that's my short, pithy answer. Yeah, I think it really depends on which part of FMCG you work in as well. Like the skill set needed to be a founder is very different to someone that's working in sales, for example. I think for me personally as a founder, I'm probably a jack of all trades and master of none. I have an oversight of everything, but I wouldn't say I'm skilled in any one particular area. Maybe slightly more on the sales front, but I wouldn't say I know the ins and outs of everything. But that's useful because I step into a CEO position and have fingers in all of the pies. Whereas if you're working in operations and heading up that department, you would want to be more focused, more analytical. So I don't think there's one particular skill set. What I would say is I'm I'm not sure if there's any one person that would have every skill set to run a business in on their own. And what do we we had a saying about if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think you've stolen that from the Navy SEALs. <laughs> I think it does resonate because Jeff and I go between each other all the time of of who's got skills in different area and we support each other. But I think that happens across team as well. So I don't think there's one particular. Yeah, there's several things we kind of like I read the Daily Stoic every day, for instance, the Stoic ancient philosophy, like don't let the successes go to your head. Don't let the heartbreaks go to your heart sort of thing. Just keep nice and in the middle. I think if you're a founder or co-founder, that that's an important thing to do, like because there's always going to be ups and downs, and you can't take them personally. So, yeah, for me, go back to what I said: resilience and an abundance mindset. Where where there's challenges, there's always opportunities, and we can get so bogged down in the here and now. And if you zoom out to a fifty thousand foot level, you can see there's there's plenty of opportunity. Perfect. For a few years ago, you were entrepreneurs with a bit of a vision, a mission to make the business that you are today and the business that you want to be in the future. Looking back, what is sort of that productivity hack for yourselves? What's that go-to? What's that when you've got, I'm going to pick on Amy, you've got your list of 10 tasks and you're going to write nine that you've already done to have a feel-good day. Well, what would you say you, you sort of, if you were recommending that to someone else right now, what would you be saying? I've had some good wins from this. Yeah, so I've reflected on myself and realised that I have got some key skills that are useful to the business that just did come naturally and also from my corporate career of, of learning. So one of them is time blocking. And there's a really good book around this. Is it Cal Newport's yeah. book? You've stolen my content here, dude. Sorry. See? We've talked too much to each other. We know what we're gonna each other's gonna say. But I, I tended to actually, before I even read the Cal Newport book and, and Jeff's read it, and we encouraged the team to as well. It was something that I was doing quite naturally anyway, where I block out big blocks within my calendar for certain tasks so that I almost forget about them until they're due on a certain day and I've got the time there to, to do that. So it's it's making sure that you're not just writing lists for the sake of it and crossing them off to make you feel better about your day, that you've actually prepared time in advance. And I look at a month view, 
two week view, a week view, and then a day view. And I will cycle through that process and make sure that I'm time blocking tasks that are essential to be done at certain points. And if I've got a, a block, I can then look at something else in, in that time. So time blocking is really important. I utilize something within my emails. It's not 100% where it should be right now. It's, it's ticked up, but it's called, um, oh, what was the? Inbox Zero. Inbox Zero. And this is something I learned at, at Mars whereby you only open an email once, you action it straight away, or it stays as a to-do list. So technically, my inbox is a to-do list of, of things that need doing. And you would only, you'd archive everything, or you'd have a deal with today or a deal with next week folder. But I disagree with that method as well, because I think that then leads people to be myopically focus on their inbox. So I think it's useful for some job roles or for some personality types. But yeah, building on what Amy was saying about Cal Newport, which is spelled C-A-L, Newport, he's kind of a fountain of knowledge when it comes to the knowledge work environment. So we're not physical workers, we're knowledge workers, right? And we exist within an office or home office or wherever. Um, and we've got things coming from all angles. People want our attention. So he talks about a methodology called capture. So you capture your tasks, everything that comes in, capture your emails, et cetera, and put it into a, a place, maybe a Trello board or a sauna. And you can then configure those tasks. You can put them into con different contexts and understand where they sit and when you can get around to doing them. And then you can control, you can control your time. You can time block plan as Amy alluded to. So there's all these things you can, you can do. It takes quite a lot of time and effort to put that infrastructure into place, but I think it, holds people in good stead. But yeah, that's that's kind of our, our productivity philosophy, which is always evolving and developing and by no means perfect because things fall onto your plate and you kind of have to deal with it. But I think also like taking a step back and there's there's some more kind of the productivity arena. There's so much content out there, but I think slow productivity is something we're going to see more of over the next few years and how can you actually carve out a deep life, a deep, meaningful life rather than just being a hundred mile an hour all the time. Um, I was thinking about this morning, this about it this morning while I was grounded and thinking it's just so frenetic all the time. It's one thing after the other. And we take, we don't take any time out to just reflect and, and kind of contemplate. So yeah, I'm not sure if that helps. <laughs> Certainly does. In fairness, I'm on Amy's side here. My inbox is my to-do list. And my rule is if I can do it within five minutes, it gets done straight away. If it doesn't, it goes in a folder called work to do by the end of the week. <laughs> so, And I, I love it when there's nothing in my inbox what doesn't happen very often. So rolling back the years, what's that one thing you look at within the business that was a success and at the time you sort of didn't expect it to be? It could have been a bit of a let's give it a go, see what happens moment. I think we do that all the time, to be honest, with the ever-changing landscape of FMCG. I think one pivotal thing for me, and this is where Jeff's visionary approach versus a knowing how things should be approach. So what I mean by that is I came from a business that I was a national account manager in grocery. That was the world that I knew. And Jeff coming in with fresh eyes and having that more don't know what is the status quo approach led us to really focus on D2C and Amazon early. Amazon initially 
And then D2C followed just before and during the start of COVID. Now for a food business, it was all about grocery five years ago. That's how you were seen as succeeding. And it was crazy to think of having a mayonnaise product on Amazon. However, doing that meant that we were the first. It meant that we had a really strong tribe. And especially through COVID, we grew significantly because we'd already put a lot of the groundwork in for the first two years of having a warehouse that could ship D2C products, Amazon keywords and things like that. So we'd done a lot of that pre-learning. We were digitally digitally native, like the infrastructure was there. It was kind of scary how that panned out really. Yeah. And that enabled us to just focus on restructuring the website. So as COVID started, I learned an SEO course and I just sat down and myopically took my focus off of grocery into D2C and our website sales significantly grew through that period just by focusing in on that one area. So, But it was definitely Jeff's viewpoint at the start of the business that then enabled that to happen. So it was, I think that was a, okay, let's let's just try it online. It's not really been done before. Um, we know the risks of grocery, they are there. So let's see what we can do in our own control. Um, and that paid off significantly and it's continuing to do so. A couple of questions on that. The first, you've used the w- uh, word a couple of times now and the word you've used tribe and it features on the website quite a bit. Can you go into the reasons behind that? Yeah, for sure. So for us, community is essential. Like it's almost like society has moved away from having a community, a real life in the real world community and tribe. If you look at kind of hunter-gatherer tribes that still exist around the world and, and traditional cultures, they all seem very happy and content with life, even though they have perceived what seems and perceives to be a lack of material objects. So I think it's understanding that when we're together as a tribe and we and when we mean that in a not in a tribal war sense in a negative way, but in a positive way, you feel a sense of belonging, you feel a sense of safety. We're a a community-based species essentially, but Amy might be able to talk to that better than I can. Yeah, for us it's we're only as as strong as our tribe is, right? So the brand makes products, there are other products on the market. But what people buy buy into and support is the why, that sense of community. And there's nothing better than having a tribe that can support each other, share knowledge, and ultimately encourage others. So Jeff and I are just individuals. But if we've got a tribe of 100,000 people now across the UK that have interacted and shopped with the brand, they all know another 10, 20, 100 people. And all of a sudden, the tribe grows. That means the business grows and our mission hits so many more people. So for us, you're not just buying a product from Hunter and Gather, you're joining a community that's on a mission to improve the lives of others and yourself. So people absolutely love that. And that's, that goes back to why do we exist? It's not just to sell a product. So you've sort of answered my second question, but it was linked around the community aspect. And do you feel if you, I'll, I'll use your word tribe rather than community, 
if the tribe hadn't worked, would you have become such a disruptive FMCG business? No. Yeah, resounding no. So the the community, it comes down to look after your customers versus we could say some of the bigger brands out there where it's a one-way one way message. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's what's led us not to have them suspend ridiculous amounts on on prospective marketing. Like we we know that society has issues and we're questioning certain conventions and we're showing our customers, our tribe, our community, however you want to turn the term that phrase, is we're we're the leading lights and we're providing those people with a solution within one aspect of their life, be it the options they can purchase you know, in a shop or online, et cetera. But there's also doctors out there that are, you know, providing great content and educational material about how to live other aspects of your life. You know, I'm not too sure how to articulate that, but help me out here, co-founder. <laughs> I think just with the tribe being so important to us, like word of mouth has been really, really key as well. So it was amazing. So when we first started, there was a Facebook group. It was a paleo Facebook group that we joined. And at that point in time, you could just share within that group. Again, it was a tribe around paleo lifestyle. And I had uh, shared a post that we'd launched a, a product and we got our first sale from that group. And maybe over the first sort of six months, I would kind of share what products we were launching or if someone was asking for a mayonnaise that fitted their paleo lifestyle, I could share the link of Hunter and Gather. Now, after about six months, I never shared about Hunter and Gather again because other people were doing it on our behalf. And now you go into those Facebook groups and if anyone puts what's the best condiments, what's the best health brand, what's the best collagen brand, there are 20, 30 people commenting Hunter and Gather and linking to our page. That shows the strength of the tribe. It shows that there's nothing better than someone saying, I've tried it, you should try it, and they're not getting anything for that. It's just their own wanting to share and we have a private facebook group for hunter and gather core vips we call them and they will answer customer service questions on our behalf as well so if a person puts in there what's the best way to use collagen there will be recipes shared there'll be pictures shared and it takes it actually a burden off us from a customer service perspective as well and it's creating, I've, I've have heard a saying around brands trying to build a tribe and a tribe is not where you are putting stuff out. So you might have a Facebook group, but you're putting stuff out and people are passively listening. That's not a, a, a tribe. A tribe is that they're actively involved in conversation without you as a brand facilitating it so much. So that's what we see within our Facebook group. People having conversations about all manner of different things, and we're not actually necessarily involved in asking a question. It was themselves. I think it boils down to our intentions at the outset. So we didn't start off thinking, hey, let's create a multi-million pound food brand here that can be acquired by a big guy one day. We started off knowing there was a a problem and we wanted to provide a solution, not only for ourselves, but for potential customers. And I think that's what it boils down to. And we've kept those intentions and that 
uh, genuine intentions from from the start until this day, and it's only strengthened as the as the business is built. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thanks for that. Completely appreciate. I've just gone off piece, but I did warn you that I do that. So, realistically, it's quite an exciting time for both of yourselves right now and for the brand. What's around the corner for you? What's coming up? What's happening? Oh, there's always lots happening and bubbling away, but the kind of most exciting thing and probably potentially for your for your listeners as well is that we are crowdfunding. Um, so we're currently on the pre-registration stage on Cedars. If you look at the coming soon section, you'll see Hunter and Gather there. Bringing back that tribe mentality, we had an amazing response. We sent out an email to our tribe to understand who would be interested in equity shares and some ownership within Hunter and Gather. And yeah, we were blown away with the response, so much so that we're going to launch the crowdfund to enable our tribe to get some ownership within Hunter and Gather, be real ambassadors. And with that funding, it will enable us to launch new products, enter new markets, new retailers, um, and grow to that next level. And we're excited to have the, the tribe involved in that. So pretty exciting, let's be honest. If someone wants to find out the obviously on the Cedars platform, like you say, we're on the coming soon, as of today's recording at the end of September. That's going to be there for a couple more weeks. It'll hit the official launch. So get in there quick if you want to. Yeah, definitely. With um, Cedars, how it works is that you're best signing up for the pre-registration right away because then there's a private link part, which we will personally be sending out to those that have pre-registered. So it's a bit like a first come, first serve type thing. And then it will go public thereafter, but it can shut at any time and it can actually shut before it goes public, depending on the response and and how much we want to let it overfund as well. Perfect. So looking back to a 16-year-old Jeff and Amy, if you were met yourselves again, what would be that one thing that you'd wish you had known when you'd started out? For me, I think within the world of FMCG, particularly around 2014 to 2017, there was a lot of talking about you know, raising big investment and that's the only way you can really cut through as a brand. And it's all about raising big and then being acquired. And I think during that time, people lost sight of actually building a smart business with a strong foundation. So we're kind of in limbo at the start as to do we you know, get significant investment and oh, are we doing the right thing here? I think just saying, hey, your intuition is right. Go with what you think and, and double down on that. Because in hindsight, that has, has been the correct thing to do rather than yeah see raising millions at a start and you kind of get diluted and yeah all sorts of things happen and that's that I think that's what I'd like to have known at the start I think for me thinking back to 16 uh would have been first job uh working as a waitress at that point um I would also agree like in terms of following your gut because with grandparents or even parents, there is some uh, thought process of that you find a career straight out of uni. That's what you stay in. It's a waste of time diverting from what you've studied for and learning about the sunk cost fallacy. 
that correct? Yeah, sunk cost fallacy is that you shouldn't just stay in a career you don't enjoy because you spent three years at university or even five years. I mean, you've got a working career that can span a long time, 40 years plus, and actually three or five years, it's not a waste, actually. You learn other skills during that time and pivoting is absolutely fine. So for me, by the time I was about 18 or 19, I'd had more jobs than my grandparents had had in their entire life. And that actually taught me so many skills because I was very good at context switching and that has been useful for me now to learn things very quickly. Like I say, jack of all trades, master of none. For me, gaining understanding in different roles very quickly and moving on just has has taught me a lot. So not knowing what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do wasn't a bad thing at that point. And I should have, again, trusted my gut that it was the right path. And that's how I feel now. I think on that point, though, it is important if you do change careers, like we build up what something as Cal Newport terms, career capital. So can you take the skills you've learned and are they transferable to a new career or new business? I think it's maybe no point going from being an accountant, for instance, to a yoga teacher, because like that's the startup cost involved with that will be absolutely huge. Um, Not necessarily. You still need yeah. to do your own accounting if you're self-employed. Like I think there's learnings from any job that can be transferable. It's how your mindset is and, um, and reflecting on what is making you happy or not. You shouldn't just stay in something because you've spent a couple of years training for that is where my point would be. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. Perfect. So one of our core values as Harlan's is we love to learn. So at the end of every podcast, I ask, how do you learn? Who do you take your advice from? And recommended reading. I'm not going to accept time block and I've already wrote that one down. You're not allowed to use that one. So uh, if there's any other sort of recommended reading that you would pitch to someone else and I took something from it. You're more of the reader than I am. Yeah, I'm hugely passionate about animal-based agriculture and kind of decentralized food systems. So for me, Sacred Cow is is a phenomenal book to to just learn about ecosystems and and our food system in general. In terms of business, I quite like the traction books by a chap called Gino Wickman, I think it is. I think they're pretty cool. Like a, It's called like the EOS system, the Entrepreneur Operating System. And I think we've taken quite a few learnings from there. I'm quite a big podcast guy too. So I love listening to podcasts. And one of my favorite is the Healthy Rebellion Radio podcast by Rob Wolf and his wife, Nikki. Um, we actually had the pleasure of interviewing Rob um, recently about all, about all things meat and animal-based agriculture. For me, I'm not a bookworm in terms of learning style. Um, I really have to like make the time to learn, if that makes sense, from traditional books. I learn through doing and just dealing with scenarios head on. I much more will find an answer to a problem that I've encountered more so than necessarily learning lots of different viewpoints from different books. However, I did come across this week something called Blink List. 
Blinkist. Blinkist, that's it. That snapshots books within 10 to 15 minutes. So Dude, you can... I told you about that about three years ago. Yeah, well, I've come across it today in my own time <laughs> because sometimes people don't want to be told to learn either. You've got to find things in your own time. But I think that would be useful for people that are more my style of learning that don't necessarily want to look at loads of books. But what I would say is if I do read a book, I do read a book. Like I do go the full way through it. But um, for me, learning from others is probably more important. I like to listen to how others have dealt with situations and, and learn in that regard. What I am very strong at in terms of learning is that PDP type learning. So accountability of what you're learning. So a bit more of a structure um, to that learning and just, yeah, I'm really strong on what is my goal and finish it. And I think it comes back to the tick list. So I, I set goals for myself and that's more how I learn rather than just picking up loads of books. I purposely set these goals at the beginning of the year and do everything I can to hit them, record them and, and share about them. Perfect. Last question. How do people find out more about yourselves personally, more about the brand and where the, what's the social channels? Sure. So um, the best is search us on Google. You'll find our website. So it's hunterandgatherfoods.com is our website. There's an about us section on there as well and links to our socials. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and then Jeff and I are on LinkedIn as well. So um, you can search us if you look at Hunter and Gather and, and who works there. Amazing. Thank you for your time today, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Darren. It was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Accountant. You can find out more and get show notes for this and all our other episodes at theevolvingaccountant.co.uk.